Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Interesting times and two days until election. So I hope that your this thing won't see, doesn't seem to move. And I've lost all my muscle mass. I can't. Okay. I'll just lower it. Okay, I want to follow up from what Garrett was saying just to repeat it because uh, I'll tell you, we, we, do, we have 170, 132 of our family that has signed up over the course of the last 40 years, 40 years, yeah, 40 days, uh, and uh, morning, noon, and evening, which is 9, 12, and 3, I've been sending out alerts, and I'm telling you, it's really been fantastic for myself, and I've gotten a lot of comments just to get that little dee, 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 and then to stop and pray for our nation. So that's been going on. We're on day 38 today, two more days to election. So what we're asking God is according to 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. God said, and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal the land. Sin is always the problem. Always the problem. So as the as we've been praying, we have two more days. What I believe, personally, and I'm going to talk more about this a little bit here, but at the end of the study this morning, uh, what I believe is the most pivotal election in our nation's history, possibly with the exception of uh, President Lincoln. We are in dire times, and I believe, and tomorrow, tomorrow night also, uh, what I was decided to do this week was to take Tuesday, Election Day, and Charlotte and I will be here in the conference room. By the way, Thursday night, we had, we've had a couple... Thursday night also. This past Thursday night, Lowell will tell you and those that were there, it was fantastic. Uh, we had about 20 people or so, and we're just praying. The Lord was speaking to us. So I look at a prayer meeting like this. As we start our prayer meeting, we're in a group. We're just talking. We're just chatting. Everyone's saying, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And all a prayer meeting is is we're just inviting God into our conversation. And so our thoughts and all those things are what God uses to guide the prayer meeting. And it's, it's, it's very, so being open and listening and, and just dialoguing. Sometimes there's somebody who'll say, hey, you know, I just got this scripture. That's what a prayer meeting is. That's what we did Thursday night. It was fantastic. God spoke. We prayed. We fellowshiped. God spoke. We prayed. All those things. So uh, tomorrow night, we're going to do the same thing at 714. And then on Tuesday, uh, I decided to do this uh, on yesterday. We're going we're gonna to start at 714 a.m. And Charlotte goes, Really? A.M.? <laughs> yeah, A.M. And we're going to go from 7.14 to 8 a.m. We're going to pray at 8 o'clock. Uh, Garrett shared this. We're going to take... Uh, so I'm asking if you want to come out, come at top of the hour, be there, and then we'll pray for 46 minutes. And then we'll end right at, right at the top of the hour and just keep praying. So this, this whole uh, season that we're in has certainly helped our prayer lives. Would you say amen to that? And if we can take God at his word, which we need to... This is what God said, and I'll talk more about that again at the end. So a personal note from me. I have always tried to stay politically sensitive, maybe in some cases neutral on things that don't matter, in my teaching, and to address every issue of life and liberty scripturally as it comes up in the Bible. That's what I've been taught. That's what I've been told, and I believe that. God, God hits all the issues. There's nothing he doesn't miss about life. He's the creator of life. So I never want to needlessly offend anyone, and especially those who need to hear the gospel. 
the good news of God's great love, the cross. And I know in these politically charged days, that can happen in an instant. So it's the power of God unto salvation that is the answer to all of our problems. And so the gospel is the answer. And I know that, I believe that, I preach that. So forgiveness and mercy and grace, in fact, this topic this morning is on mercy, show mercy. It's a very good one in context of a couple of things I want to share at the end. So I've been trying to decide when to share these things. I've decided I'm going to do it at the end of this service. If it doesn't work, I'll just do it in the beginning of the next one. I get two stabs at it, okay? So would you stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 39 and 40? I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read parts of it. We like to stand as Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah, if you look at Nehemiah there, they made a platform, they stood up, and everyone stood up when, God, when God's word was read, and we want to honor his word. God said he honors his word above his name. So this is super, super important. Would you say amen? I know you know that. In fact, part of my study today, I'm going to be exhorting you again in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. This is, a, by the way, the third part of what began as a one but God was thinking differently. So this is part three this morning. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites and that had taken him down there. Notice, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw, again, that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did in to prosper in his hand. Verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And so last week, uh, we talked about what happened to Joseph in being accused falsely after being uh, seduced, tried to be seduced by Pharaoh's wife. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. That's the topic of this whole little series. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. We're going to talk this morning about when wronged, show mercy. That's why God with us, when we're wronged, to show mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, just like with with. Uh, Potiphar, all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, completely trusted Joseph, because the Lord was with him, again, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now look at chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker, of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in custody for a while, probably two or three years. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we do ask in Jesus' name that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Just Jesus, like you said to the, all the churches in Revelation. He who has an ear to hear it, let him hear it. Give us ears to hear. And Jesus, you said it's not just hearing it, but it's responding to it. It's being obedient to it. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, by your Spirit to take to heart whatever it is that you want to speak to us this morning. I pray and ask the things that I prepared 
You'd break them fresh because, Lord, we are hungry and we realize that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We love your word, Lord. We ask you to give to us the, the nuggets needed to speak to our hearts, to put in the good seed that will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 full. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as I've said before, this vivid narrative needs little commentary. <laughs> as you just read it, it just ministers continuously, this particular life of Joseph. So there's three thoughts. God with you is the theme of this little three-part series. This is what it looked like in Joseph's adversities, and he had a lot of them. Number one, God was with him as a steward and servant to be a blessing. We talked about that. Secondly, last week, God was with him in times of temptation to overcome sin. Aren't you thankful for that? Third, this morning, when wrong. Now, I changed that because last time I had when falsely accused, I realized, no, this is bigger than just being falsely accused. When wronged, to show mercy. So, again, third part, if you want to hear the other two, they're on our website uh, under the, the messages. So, Joseph, again, had lots of reason to wonder if God was really with him. And we have our own list in the same way. But Joseph stands alongside men, listen, like Job, Daniel, Jeremiah, Paul the Apostle, and many, many others, as a man who learned to trust God in the most Adverse and awful circumstances. Genesis 50, again, this is his legendary epitaph. But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph came to understand what God was doing. And we really don't know that many times until we have hindsight. And what? wow, look what God did. Many times I find God gives me one step and says, take it, I'll show you the next one. So when his father Jacob on his deathbed, and we'll get this later on, blessed Joseph, he affirmed this very deep relationship that the beloved son of his old age had with God. And there's no question in my mind that there's not one of us in this room who's a believer who doesn't long for a deeper relationship with God. The difficulty is that comes through difficulties. That's how God does it. And if you look at your relation with people, now sin has made a mess of everything, but you look at your relation with anyone and the depth comes through adversity. Walking the waters together, Rowing down the stream or upstream together. So as, as he, in his walk with God, he not only affirmed it. When I read this, and I want to read it in a moment, it was like he marveled at what God had done in Joseph's life. What a fantastic place to be. So God chose Joseph and sent him and appointed him that Joseph should go and bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that would remain. Now, does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said to us, his disciples. He chose us to be fruitful. And so look at Genesis chapter 49. We'll get this later. But Joseph, this is, this is Jacob blessing Joseph, the end of his life, at Jacob's, the end of his father's life. 
Jacob is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. I mean, you ever see these amazing trees? It's like all over the place. Now notice verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But, oh, I love this. Because it's relationship, deep relationship with God. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth beneath, blessings of the breasts of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. And I believe that's a couple things we, we can put in there. But one of them is he stands out from all his brothers. And he went through the most difficult things than all his brothers. And he was fruitful. Joseph came to know, not in spite of his troubles, but because of them, that the eternal God was his refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. It moves my heart in such a way that you realize we can't lose. God is for us. And God loves us. And God allows us to go through the things that he does for our benefit and for our depth of relationship with him. That's the God that we know. That's the God that we love. That's the God who demonstrates love by sending his son into the world to die on a cross that we might know him and this eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Do you know God today? Do you know him? Do you want a deeper walk with the Lord? Then expect and trust he has that for you. God is with you the same, the same God is yours. To know him in the same marvelous way. And I say, Lord, would you do the work you need to do? Would you get me out of the way, my heart out of the way? So when wronged, to show mercy. And we read it when she saw, in verse, go to verse 13. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. Now, Joseph was not running from a secret life. He was running for a sacred life. And so she, he's being seduced day and night. Day and night. Lay with me, lay with me, lay with me. She finally, I believe, sets it up so that he's alone with her in the house and takes advantage and tries to seduce him. What does Joseph do? I'm out of here, Jack. A serious hurry. He's gone. We talked about that last week. And so look what she did, verse 14. She called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried that he left his garment. The incriminating evidence she's showing, it's a whole lie. And fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home, her husband. Then she spoke to him with words like these, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to come into, whom you bought to, to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. An absolute lie. He tried to rape me when the whole time she's trying to seduce him. 
So innocent Joseph is falsely accused by the very woman who tried to seduce him. Watch out. Watch out. Know this, Joseph will endure every false accusation against him because of the truth that is in him. He is the real deal with God. That will stand and weather any attacks, any opposition, because God is our refuge. He's the real deal in his consecration to God. He who kept him from doing wrong is the same one who will keep him when wronged. Isaiah chapter 41, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Now, Israel had a lot of problems. Would you say amen to that? They had a lot of sin. They had a lot of issues that God had to deal with them over. But this is what God says to them. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Hey, if God's the one who keeps me, I have no problems. He's my keeper. Jesus put it this way, these things I have spoken to you, That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? It doesn't say you'll have a nice time. (laughs) It says you'll know some good shows. He said, in the world you will have, in other words, you're going to be tribulating. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This is that which overcomes the world, 1 John, even your faith. Your faith in what? In God, in Jesus Christ, in knowing that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's beyond anything you could ever plan. He has the plans. Now, it's interesting to me that Joseph said nothing to defend himself. Because he had nothing to defend. And then this seemingly incriminating evidence of his garment that he left behind. You know, you look at Joseph's life and say, man, his clothes got him in a lot of trouble. First, the coat of many colors, and now it's his garment. So Joseph fled, he's falsely accused, and so verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, verse 19, saying, your servant did meet to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Now, interesting also to me, and I don't know if it's speaking from silence or not, but it doesn't say his anger was aroused against Joseph. He was just ticked. He was mad. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Thrown in prison for no fault of his own. Potiphar's angry. I think there's room for this assessment. He knew Joseph. He put everything he had, except when he sat down and knew what he had in the refrigerator. It was all under Joseph. Why? Because he trusted uh, Joseph. He knew his character. But I also believe he also knew his wife. I don't think he was blind to the fact that she was a seductress. So could it be possible that Potiphar's hand is sort of forced to throw Joseph into prison? And I'm reminded of Pilate. 
when Jesus stood before him and he'd say to the Jews, I find no fault in him. Do you want me to crucify your king? And Pilate was looking for a way out. Now, one interesting part of that whole encounter, he asked Jesus where he came from, and Jesus didn't answer him. Pilate said, do you not answer me? Don't you know that I have power to crucify you or to release you? And then Jesus did speak. He said, you could have no power at all unless I've been given to you from above. And then Pilate went troubled, troubled all the way. He wanted to release you. He couldn't. And maybe it's the same picture because Joseph is certainly a picture of our Savior. Falsely accused. More than just prison, he was crucified. And he hung between two transgressors. Interesting also in this story, these dreams, there's two transgressors. One dies, the other lives. And I think of Jesus who was crucified between two thieves, one on the other side of the other, and Jesus in the center. And one of them said, Lord, would you remember when you come into your kingdom? He said, sure, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow, you think works is going to get you to heaven? You think works is going to save you? Well, look to the cross and realize, no, it can't. Nor does it need, do they need to. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I'm getting off. The pictures here are numerous. Now, the other interesting thing to me, these aren't my notes, but let me give it to you. The, the uh, butler was thrown in prison, and he has his dream. We'll read it. And it was over his cup, the cup. And then the butcher, the, or the baker, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, <laughs> The baker was also thrown, and his would have been the basket or the bread. And you look at Jesus in the last night when he was betrayed. He took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. What happened to the baker? He died. Jesus is our bread of life. And through his death, we are, we are forgiven. All our sin was laid on the bread. The bread is a picture of that broken life for us. But what about the cup? Jesus took the cup on that night and said, this is my blood in the new covenant. And through the new covenant, we have life. And what happened to the, to the butler? He had life. He was given new life when the sentence was prison and possibly death. So isn't that sweet? Sweet. And God gives us in Joseph's life this amazing picture of our Savior, Jesus. I'm going to get off all over the place because I'm just there's so many things going through my brain right now. But the other thing, I, I looked up the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of Joseph. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I don't know if it means anything, but it's interesting. You'll find the God of Abraham 12 times, literally, that phase. You'll find the God of Isaac 8 times, and you'll find the God of Jacob 20 times. Now, there are also other, many other times when adjectives are added, like the God of your father, Abraham. But just the phrase itself, that's how many times. But many others with the God of the father of your father, Abraham. The God of your father, Isaac. A lot of other times. But you go to the God of Joseph, zero in both counts. You never find it. And I just wondered, you know, I wondered. Joseph is such a picture of the of the fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant handed down to Isaac and Jacob. And then G Joseph comes on the scene. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. And I wonder, I, this is just for me personally, I sat there going, wow, maybe what God wants me to do is write my name in there, the God of Kevin. 
Because Jesus paid it all. He's the film of Abraham, Isaac, all of that to them. And here comes Joseph, a picture of our Savior. So are you guys okay staying here till about 1230? <laughs> <laughs> but look it. Don't you love the Lord? He is so good and so wants to speak in our lives. And he does it through historical accounts of real people in real time experiencing real problems. And he's with them. He's with them. Hasn't changed. A lot of other things have changed. And we're hoping a lot of other things will continue to change for the good. But notice, but the Lord was with Joseph. May I say to you, but the Lord was with Kevin. The Lord was with Tommy. The Lord was with Lindsay, by the way. I don't know if you were in here, but we thank you for all that happened yesterday. So the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Now, if I was Joseph in prison, I'd say, what kind of mercy is that? <laughs> I mean, really? He showed, but notice. And he gave him favor in sight, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That's the mercy of God. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. That's the mercy of God. We should all be dead in our trespasses and sins. But what did God? He lavishes, lavishes, lavishes by his mercy, his blessings. So the mercy of God gave him favor. The mercy of God was shown through a keeper of a prison. The mercy of God lifted Joseph's faith far above his circumstances. That God is a merciful God. He's not giving us what we deserve. The mercy of God was demonstrated in the life of Joseph. So in this next chapter, I'm gonna, this is going to just be a, a short five things I pulled out of this for myself. And I hope they'll minister to you. And I'm sure there's many other ways. But what does, what does that look like? When we've received mercy, what does it look like in Joseph's life? How does that play itself out to show mercy when wronged? Now, I think of Joseph, I say, he could have been in that prison with a real big chip on his shoulder. Ticked off at everybody in the world. But that's not what we read. Now, he'd been through enough already to have learned a lot in his depth of relationship with God, and we need the same. He, now, what, notice what he does. He's thrown in He gets right to serving. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in, his, so they were in custody for a while. The first thing we looked at, a servant and a steward. Joseph has learned something deep here. When he was wronged, he looked around him and he served the people. I look at it this way. Joseph's heart was a humble heart. That's what it looks like. A humility to serve and steward as being there on God's own plan and purpose. The greatest enemy to showing mercy is the pride of our hearts. Psalm 138, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows afar off. Joseph accepted the fact that he was just as much a prisoner as the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. I can't help myself every time. 
Joseph was not putting himself above them. He was confined with them. And let me say to you, when it really comes down to it, we're all confined as sinners. We all come the same way to the cross. There's none better than the other. If it was like that, heaven, the kingdom, would be horrible. Well, did you see what I did? I mean, the disciples went through that. Lord, can I sit on your right hand, your left? His mother actually, the mother was helping them. And Jesus said, you don't know what cup you're even asking. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea. It's just like us. You know, I thought of Jesus being baptized. He stood in line with sinners. Identified completely as a human being with sinners. He who knew no sin, no unrighteousness, no need for baptism in that sense, he stood in line to fulfill all righteousness. That someone was in line who was going to die for the rest of them that were in line and fulfill all righteousness. Joseph saw himself as a servant of God and therefore not a victim to wrong. Not a victim to being wrong. God put him there to be there for his purposes. Now you may not like that. I don't like it. But that's the truth. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. It's not. But it's still the truth. Look at verse 5. Then the butler and the baker, the king, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. Here's the second thing. Joseph got his eyes off himself and on those with him. That's how to show mercy. (laughs) None of these things are easy nor natural. They're supernatural, and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. To get our eyes off ourselves and onto those who are with us. That's to show mercy. That's the only way we can show mercy. Look at verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, Why do you look so sad today? Third, Joseph's first concern was not for himself, but for those with him. That's to show mercy. Verse 8, and they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, and I love this, please. Fourth, Joseph's words were tender and truthful to those with him. I thought of Jesus, when Jesus stood up in his hometown and read from Isaiah, and he's reading that the Lord The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's come to heal the brokenhearted, to release those who are in captive. And he just reads from the Torah there in front of his people, his hometown. And when he closed the book, the scroll, they all looked at him like, wow. And they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. How tender is God toward you? Let me tell you this. He's always truthful. God is truth. And Joseph here is is as a priest of God. Tell them to me. 
He's in the role, really, of speaking to them about God. Speaking them tenderly, politely, respectfully. And by the way, a please goes a long way. Just to be polite and kind and sensitive. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters uh, brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to, the, to your place, and, you'll be, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Now, can you see and hear the chief butler? Cool. I'm all in. This is great. But notice what happens. He says, Joseph, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from that land of the Hebrews. And also, I've done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So he's saying, this is all wrong. I've been wrong. And can you hear the heart cry of Joseph? Please remember me. Please don't forget me. Now, it's not then that Joseph was out of touch with his own plight and his own need for the kindness of others who could help him. He was not whining and putting on a pouty face. I'll tell you, that's the mercy of God. Now, some will play the victim card and try to take advantage of you and me. When you know the mercy of God over your own life, you come to trust that God holds all the cards. And you learn to play the card dealt to you by God. Those are deep lessons. When you know the mercy of God in your own life, you cannot play the victim card. Instead, you worship God because you are, quote, unquote, the victim of his wonderful mercy. Wow, that's deep. Now, there will be times when someone will play you, knowingly or unknowingly. And that experience will also be the time when God will show you his mercy. And it goes deeper. In other words, God's mercy wins out every time. Wronged and wronged again every time the mercy of God wins out. Psalm 119, now as far as that goes, God not only holds the deck, he stacks the deck, and then he deals the deck. But always according to his mercy because he is merciful. The scriptures back up what I'm saying. Look at this. Can we have that? Psalm 119, verse Oh, maybe, did I not have, oh, yeah, I do, yeah. You got it? There it is. Nope, one before that. 119, 124, do you have it in there? Not there, okay. 
Well, here's how Psalm 119, 124. Deal with your servant according to your mercy. Deal it, God. Deal them out. And teach me your statutes. In Psalm 119, many of you know this, but it's 176 verse alphabetic acrostic. The 23 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has eight different words for referring to God's word found in at least 171 verses. But some would argue, no, in 175, there's only one that doesn't have the word of God mentioned in one of those eight words. They would point to verse 122. But what Psalm 119 is the greatness and glory of God's word. Last week, we talked about temptation in the word of God, the sword of the spirit. How Jesus went went on the offense against the temptations of the devil and sent the devil on his way. How? It is written. It is written. It is written. The Holy Spirit reminding us again, and thus I'm going to take a little time to remind us again, that it's absolutely imperative that the Word of God, your Bible, is not collecting dust on some shelf while your TV or tablet or any other device is given your permission to stream its emptiness and darkness into your soul. You need the light. I need the light. And the reason this seems so paramount to me at this point in our, in our the season we're in is because that's not what's happening in the church. So for Psalm 119, I apply it this way. You will be tragically deficient in knowing the depth of the mercies of God towards you if you are not filling your mind and heart with God's word. It's the fountain of mercy. And if you are not, chances are, neither are your children or will your children and neither are your grandchildren or, or, your, or will your grandchildren. That's what's on my heart so, so imperatively in these days. What's going on with our children? What's going on with our grandchildren? What's going to be happening? What are they walking into? Let me say they need the sword of the Spirit, and they need it like crazy today. They need to know God through his word and what he said. and what he's, They need to know truth. They need to know a biblical worldview. Are they getting it? Well, the first question is, do I have it? Can I give that to them? The chances are, so my question is to you and to myself is, why leave it to chance? When it is so easily changed. How is it changed? By a simple choice. It will be a battle, but every day make a choice in your mind, and I speak to myself also, Then coach it with your will. Got to be coached. And it, in this case, the application is the mercies of God. They will become the very culture of your heart. That's what happens through the word of God. Now, as I read in Psalm 119 concerning mercies, there are four other verses. Look at this. 
41, let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. And look at this, what happened. Your salvation according to your word. The depth of what God has done through his mercies in salvation is experienced and known. Verse 58, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. And so his favor is channeled, if you will. I almost don't like to use that word. Probably not a good word. Is fountained. Verse 76, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. So his kindness and his comfort according to your word to your servant. Verse 156, again, mercies. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Revival, the word of God. I'm going to continue a little further in this, just about the word for us this morning. This week, I was sent an article. It was by a a survey conducted by George Barna. 13% of mainline adherents read their Bibles every day. I know, personally, there's little I can do to change these downward spirals in the church, capital C. But I promise you this. You already know it, but I'll promise you becoming an alien. I promise you this. Little C. <laughs> With the big double CS. <laughs> Calvary Chapel South. I will continue to remind you and exhort you and call you to get back to your Bible. To stay in your Bible as a non-negotiable priority Every single day of your life. And you know, you know, well, I you know you can read a verse a day, can't you? You can have a little nibble. How does that work? Figure it out. That's how important it is. Charlotte, my wife, used to drive around with our kids. She drove all over the place. She put so many miles in our car. I was, you know, I, was, I think it was, I thought I was going to get past the triple, uh, the six digits. And she used to listen to talk radio. She'll tell you this. She's told others. She used to listen to talk radio. And after a while, she realized, this is not healthy. <laughs> and so I bought her a, a stack of these CDs. Alexander Scorby, who re- old, but reads the King James Bible. And there's CDs. He puts them in, she has an older car, so she puts them in that little slot. I don't even know if cars have those anymore. And all she does is play the CDs when she's in the car. And she's list- she listens to the Bible three or four times a year. Am I right? And you know, it's not like, oh, I'm, no. There it is. There it is. There it is. There- and the more that we load ourselves up with the word of God, the more as we're going through our day, there it is. There it is. There it is. Train up a child the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. What is that saying? Is it a, is it a promise? No, it's not a promise, but it's a principle. You put in there what they need, and someday, they can't get away, but someday, they're going to be wrestling, they're going to be struggling, they're going to be far from the Lord, they're going to be in the pigsty like the prodigal, and something's going to come to mind, and the word that you put in there is what's going to bring to light what their need is, and they will turn to Christ as we pray and intercede. I'm not saying that's easy, and I'm not saying that's quick. I was a prodigal. My mom and dad brought me back to the Lord. How? They prayed for me, but in the beginning of my life, you know, I didn't like going to church. We lived in Nanuet and then Pearl River, 
And the drive to church was like 20 minutes. Can you imagine that? I mean, come on. <laughs> and I'm in the back seat with my four sisters. Can you imagine that? Come on. <laughs> and every Sunday that I can remember, it was like, man, I just want to go play with my friends. It was non-negotiable. I would be in that car and be in that church until I was, my, I was old enough to make my own decision on that. And when I was old enough, I left the church. I left my walk with God. But God never left me. And I asked my mom and dad later on when I was a rebellious 16, 17, 18-year-old boy, I said, why didn't you kick me out of the house when I got to be? I said, well, if we kicked you out, we wouldn't know where you are, so we prayed for you. But I believe that those prayers become so much more powerful when there's something that God has put into their lives through you that he can work with. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. Take it off the shelf and restore its authority in your life. By doing so, you'll be transformed day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and the fruit, as with Joseph, it will be fruitful. It's not a, an empty endeavor. It's filled with power and life. All right, here we go. When the chief baker saw that the intercession was good, he said to Joseph, I also, in my dream, and there were three bat white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Now, I'm sure that the baker's saying, man, that sounds good with the butler. Okay, what's mine? Well, here we have Joseph. You can hear the difficulty in Joseph's voice. The truth sometimes hurts. But Joseph spoke the truth tenderly. He spoke the truth, though, when it was tough. He could say, well, you know what? He said what God said. Joseph answered, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh for, for you. Wow, okay. Tell me it's not true. Tell me it's just a dream. Psalm, mercy and truth are often coupled together in the scriptures, but listen, mercy and lies never are. Never. Psalm 25, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and testimonies. Psalm 85, mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Mercy and truth. Showing mercy is being truthful. Verse 20, now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. It happened just like what God said, and it always does. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Finally, number five, Joseph's heart was learning to forgive. And I think that's central to everything that we deal with. It was central to what we needed from God, forgiveness. 
And so you can sense the hope slowly dashed in Joseph's heart. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. And I believe that Joseph, though sick, knew God's going to come through. God's going to take care of this. And so he's immediately forgotten by the chief butler. And this, like all wrongs, was a perfect breeding ground for bitterness when we're wronged. Forgiveness is not something we're good at. Joseph didn't let that happen. He was learning the importance of letting it go. I was talking to my pastor friend Tom this week, expressing some of my difficulties. And that's what he said to me, let it go, let it go, let it go. We can let it go at the throne of grace. We can wrestle and find peace in trusting God, no matter what's happened. Hebrews says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, as any root of bitterness springing up, cause trouble, and by this many be defiled. It's not going to stay with you. It's going to be polluting. We must have a heart that's learning to forgive. Now, a very destructive and mighty undertow is running beneath our social media culture, and it's this. There is no forgiveness. Think about that. God who knows every detail of every day and minute you ever lived knows all of it. But you go to social media, there is no forgiveness. People's lives are being destroyed for something they said or did years ago. Something that had been all but forgotten. They've since grown up. They've changed. They're not the same person. Everyone who's close to them knows that. They've moved on with them. But let someone who has a personal agenda or vendetta against that person, that person. Maybe they've joined some group. Maybe they're aligning themselves with some philosophy or ideology, some position. You know what kicks in? Public shaming. There is no forgiveness. It's incredibly cruel. Douglas Murray wrote in his book, The Madness of Crowds, quote, only the worst version of someone's life contains the information that makes the internet stop and look. He goes on. It is pure gold for a network addicted to shaming. Brothers and sisters, let me say to you, be careful how you're responding to the things on the internet, particularly about the people that you know and the ones that may be in their church or maybe in your workplace. Because God is a forgiving God. The need is not to be shamed. The need is to cast our shame upon him who loves it. God does not shame us. God's not going into into all these things and flashing them on, on 
billboards and in social media say, did you know this about Kevin when he was 10? And I've done horrible things, and so have you. I've done things that I'm shameful about, but I find at the cross the answer to all of it. And that's not different for anybody else. You with me? We need to have hearts that are learning to forgive. And the only way we learn to forgive is when we need to. When God calls us to. James, have you had bitter envy and self-seeking your hearts? Do not boast or lie against the truth. This wisdom is not descend from above. It's earthly, sensual, demonic. For envy and self-seeking exist. Confusion, every evil thing are there. God help us. So Joseph's heart was humble heart. Joseph got his eyes off himself and on those with him. Joseph's first concern was not himself, but those with him. Joseph's words were tender and truthful to those with him. And Joseph's heart was learning to forgive. We, like Jacob, marvel over the depth of Joseph's walk with God, indeed. That same depth is ours to know. Because the same God has shown us his mercy on the cross. And thus, that's where we want to be spending a lot of time. Have you been born again into the family of mercy? Do you know God through salvation? And now in our family, his mercies are new every morning. He is the one who died and is a sacrifice for our sins. His blood is the blood of the new covenant given to us that we might have salvation by the gift, free gift of God. I'm going to read this final passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Now here's the key verse, verse 25. For we were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. When we are enduring grief, when we're suffering wrongfully, when we're beat down, when we do good and suffer, when we're falsely accused, let us return like right now, like right now, to Jesus and let him take care of our souls. Let him oversee our souls. And then let us, as hearts humbled by his great mercy and love, get back in the game of serving, stewarding, of overcoming sin and of showing mercy.